So like I said, when I rocked up to Moreland's, um, I met Dotha. She, um, she took us for a couple of lectures in my first week, and we were just getting to know each other. Um, so we're all f fairly new, and obviously Dotha didn't know any of us. And there was about 10 of us at first, and we're all sat around in a horseshoe. And as we began to get to know each other, you know, we, we kind of found out the kind of people that, that we were. And there was this one guy called Richard, who um, is a bit of a, of, a, of a techie geek. He introduced most of us to Macs, and I think probably about four of us bought a MacBook shortly after meeting Richard. Um, he was also very clever, also already had a degree, um, and he was... He was a good boy in lectures mainly, wasn't he, Dotha? At least at first. Well, at least he looked like he was being good. So he's got his Mac open and, and he types up all the notes and then he goes off and, and he reads them and he makes sure they're all in, in a good way. So when Dotha, in the middle of a lecture, as she's talking around like this, Richard's over here, so she's talking around like this, looking around, and she suddenly says, if you've just opened up your emails, that goes out the window. Now, we're all like, ah, no, it's Richard, it's all right. He'll be doing his, his notes, he'll be doing everything properly. And we just kind of ignored it. But then he didn't come out of lecture straight away because he actually went up and, and spoke to Dotha and um, apologised because actually he had just opened up his emails. <laughs> but he did say that he wasn't going to read them, he was just downloading them so they were ready afterwards, whether you choose to believe that or not. But then he said, and he said this to us afterwards, he said, I had to go and, and, and talk to Dotha because he's suddenly like, my goodness, if she hears from God that clearly, I need to be spending time with her. <laughs> so there's panic, and, and, and he's like, Dotha, is that, is that, is, you know, how did you find out? And she just said, your face changed. Which is almost as scary, really, because <laughs> we were all new, she didn't know what our faces were like, and she was lecturing, so she was looking around, and she'd notice Richard's face changing. So when, when I'm slightly fearful of her, that would explain why, really. One of the reasons, anyway. And actually, during that lecture, actually, it was, it was one of the other ones, she was teaching on worship. And um, in the middle of discussing something about worship, she goes off on one. She starts singing. And we're all new at Bible college, and we're like, what do we do here? Is this a test to see how spiritual we are? Are we supposed to be like... <laughs> joining in or is it was she demonstrating something and we're all kind of looking at each other like this and, and she, she's just well away and we're really unsure what to do and then she just kind of snaps out of it and says sorry but when I start talking about God I just can't help but worship and I can't help but you know just tell him how great he is again um, it was quite an amusing story and a scary story for us because you know you're never sure when you're being tested at Bible college <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't a test I hope that was just Dotha with her love for God um, and her passion to worship him, which we kind of did grow to appreciate and, and respect. So I'm going to now invite Dotha up. Have you all got your Dotha shades? <laughs> have, you, have you read your little bit in the back of the program about Dotha? I can't read it back on there. <laughs> that she can see into your soul. <laughs> She knows what you had for breakfast. In which case, the glasses won't make a difference. No, true. <laughs> Bob, do you want to come up and pray for Dotha? Yeah, I think you <laughs> Right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. 
thank you, Lord, that you give us all ministries. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that gives great gifts to the church. We thank you for Dotha right now. And Lord, you'll bless her, that you'll speak through her, that what she says will impact our lives and our hearts for you. Lord, we ask you now for a great time of instruction and commitment in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. After an introduction like that, I don't know whether I should stay here or run away. (laughs) I know you're thinking the same thing as well. (laughs) But it's always a good thing, I find, to you know, be gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ, meeting family that you didn't know for the first time, but you already know your family, so you you connect immediately. Well, I do anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really good to see you guys enjoying yourselves. I heard you've had a great time. I, I, you know, I'm I'm glad you appreciated the fact that we went all out to make sure the sun was shining for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I say that, but I was um, uh, at, a, at a wedding yesterday, and someone at our table was sharing this story about a, a, a young lady who um, uh, actually thought she was God. No, seriously, really did think she was God. She would say, you know, like when the person was doing a, a Bible study from a particular passage, she interrupted and she said, no, 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 that, that's not right. And he went, no, that's what it says there. And she said, yes, I know that's what it said, but when I dictated it, they took it down wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine in this Bible study that this person was ever so slightly perturbed by that. <laughs> kind of looking at, oh, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> I was so slightly perturbed by that because they were thinking, is she okay? What's going on here? What is she saying? What, you know? And so this carried on for a while, and then the person kind of very gently wanted to say, you're very pastorally sensitive and wanting to say, you know, is everything okay? Shall we pray for you? And she goes, uh, no, you can't pray for me, but you can pray to me. <laughs> At which point the other person in the, in the, the ministry team, the pastoral team, uh, turns to the person and says, you know, because this other person was being like Richard, you know, pastorally caring and compassionate another one and then the other one who's more like uh, Joe (laughs) goes off and says (laughs) looks at the woman and says I think you're mad (laughs) now I want to know why you're not taking your medication and which institution you escaped from (laughs) seriously at which point of course the um, team the Bible study broke down I'm here to tell you that despite the stories that you have heard, I am not God. (laughs) (laughs) But I do serve a God, as do you, who is all-powerful, who really is all-knowing. Good job he isn't (laughs) all-telling. But he calls us together to be family to be related to each other, to be joined to each other for his glory. And you've been looking at some of that this, this week. You know, when I, when I heard the, the, the title, Bodybuilding, I kind of expected to see, you know, some Mr. Atlas <laughs> men around, you know, yeah. 
Uh, oh, sorry. I, how silly of me. I didn't uh, you know. I'm, I'm much too close. I didn't see the uh, definitions. Uh, delusional. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going to behave myself. <laughs> at a, a passage, a particular passage in, in 1 Corinthians. But before we look at chapter 12, I thought I'd just um, give you a little bit of background details to this church and tell me whether or not you want to belong to a church like this. Apart from the fact that, um, I'm sure you know by now, I mean, Corinth was a place where they call a, a sort of cosmopolitan boomtown. You know, it was at the crossroads of all the trade. It's the kind of place that folks went to because there was work there. That's where you went to, to get a job, to earn money. And, and, and there was a mixture, a cross-section of cultures and people there. And obviously, with that kind of setting, there is all sorts of things going on, what we might call a pluralistic society, where there were worship of many gods and things, including uh, the, the worship of Aphrodite, with, with, with all sorts of uh, imagery and, and activities that the adults will understand. <clears throat> <laughs> Read it as you will. But here is the, the, the letter, just in summary. The first four chapters talks about a threat of a faction. The issue wasn't about doctrine, but it was about style, personality, and pride. Some people blamed Apollos in the first chapter, you know, one of the leaders. Maybe it was his fault. Maybe he was stirring something up and trying to get a little uh, group together to support him. And then chapters 5 to 10, Paul, by the way, corrects that by saying, look to Christ. When you were all called, you know, not many of you were wise, not many of you were noble. Okay, one or two of you were, but not many were. My old pastor in Jamaica used to say, God calls fools, but he doesn't keep them. <laughs> and chapter 5 to, to 10, the problem of the church uh, in the world. And these are the things that was happening. There was immorality, litigation, Christians were... Uh, being like the world. They were doing everything the world was doing with no uh, discernible difference. There was incest, lawsuits, prostitution. Okay, no? no. <laughs> but then there was also the opposite problem, what uh, some scholars call super-spirituality. So by the time you get to chapter 7, they're thinking, the, the, you know, the, the end has come, the kingdom of God has arrived. We are now in Christ, therefore the body doesn't mean anything. On the one hand, we can do with it as we like. And on the other hand, actually, the body is to be rejected and neglected. And so they weren't uh, engaging husband and wife, for instance, in that which is normal, <clears throat> usual among married couples. And Paul says, don't defraud each other. So they were saying the spirit is everything, the body is nothing. So ignore the body, beat it down, don't pay any attention whatsoever to it. They were speaking in tongues and having a great time and they were thinking they were better than everybody else. So we see that going on there and this phrase he starts chapter 7 with, you know, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Where did he come from? <laughs> Then in chapters 8 to 10, there is another problem about eating uh, in the temples and buying meat offered to idols. And Paul says, 
Knowledge gives freedom, but love is more important. Those who were in the know thought they could do what they like. It didn't matter. And Paul says, hey, think about your brother. Think about your sister. Love is more important. Think about one another. And then chapters 11 to 14, which uh, embrace the chapters we're going to be looking at, the chapter we're going to be looking at today. It's the problem of the world in the church again. This, what they call ostentation or pretentious vulgar behavior, the way they were showing off and pruning and prancing about. Then there was discrimination, rich and the poor, at Lord's Supper. And Paul says, that's not how it should be among you. Wait for one another. Look out for each other before you come to the Lord's table. And then there was the issue of arrogance, the problem of ecstatic speech. Because you see, the Corinthians had had a wonderful experience of God. They had met with the risen Christ. They had experienced the power of God's spirit. They had spoken in tongues and they continued to do so. And it seems that there was a, a faction of the, the, the church at Corinth who believed that because they could speak in tongues, they were better than everybody else. By the way, I speak as a Bapticostal. <laughs> Just so you know where I'm coming from. And they were, it seems, of the opinion that just because they spoke in tongues, they were, if you like, first-class Christians and the others weren't quite there. And Paul says, okay, now you've written about these various things. Now I'm going to answer your question. So we get to chapter 12, and it says, Now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that uh, when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous power, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues, all of these by the same Spirit. All these are the work of the one same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And then he continues, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part <coughs> rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he goes on to talk about love again. Now you may have noticed, and I'm sure most of you have heard this before, that this is a, is a start of Paul's response, which concludes, well actually it doesn't conclude until chapter 16, but more or less is summed up on, in chapter 14, where he is addressing this issue of these super spiritual people that I'm talking about, where they thought that because they had such and such uh, a, a manifestation of the spirit, they were a better class Christians. They were up here and the rest of you lot, you're down there. Because I have a certain gift, I am the bee's knees. I never did quite know what a bee's knees was, but it sounds good anyway. But the rest of you, ah, no, because I can speak and teach and preach and play instruments and all of that. Oh, yeah, look at me. Yeah, I am the, I am the one. I am it. And Paul says, actually, you know those things that you wrote about? And this is, this is a, a, the distinction here. They wrote and they asked him about spiritual gifts. And the word that Paul actually uses to, tr to, to, to respond to them, he translated, he retranslates it and says, I'll tell you about the gifts, the pneumaticus that you have. He says, you asked about pneumaticus, I'll tell you about the charismata. Two Greek words. Pneumaticus, they're talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul says, I'll talk about the gifts, the grace gifts. And he's kind of wrapping them on the knuckles and says, friends, every gift we have, is a grace gift. Every gift we have is a grace gift. It is a gift of grace from God. And then he goes on to unpack this just in case they missed it. They were saying, some of you are talking about the spiritual experiences you have. Don't confuse spiritual experience with Christianity and the impact of the Holy Spirit. That's what he is saying, basically. He says, remember, somehow or other, some of you were led astray by certain things going on. Remember, you were led off to dumb idols. That's what he's saying there. He says, so, you know, you need to be careful that you're not talking about these things as if it is what made everything for you. It is about Christ, your foundation in Christ, your relationship to Christ, and the gifts, the grace gifts that Christ has given. And so he goes on and he lists these things. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service but the same Lord. And you notice how he puts gifts and his charismata and service together. 
And the point he is trying to make, and he's going to go on to unpack later, is that these gifts are for service. Now, I'm going to say this now, and I'll probably say it again towards the end. Every person in this room and beyond has a gift of some sort, has an ability to do something that is given to them by God. Every person is unique. You have a different set of skill sets and uh, outlook on life. Your whole life is different to the person sitting next to you, even if you've been married to them for 50 years. <laughs> You're unique. But let me just tell you this. Those gifts that you have been given by God, they are not for you. They are for me. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. The gifts that God has given me are not for me. They are for you. Is that any clearer yet? In other words, God doesn't give us these gifts so that we can feel good about ourselves. Okay, that might be true. We might feel good about the fact that we can do X, Y, or Z. But that's not the purpose of the gifts that are given. Paul goes on to say, the gifts are given each for the common good. That means those gifts that you're not using because you're afraid of using, you're robbing your brothers and sisters. Yeah, you. You're <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I don't know anything about anybody. <coughs> and they all, I, I don't know, they're all starting to panic now. Don't worry. <laughs> but when we don't use our gifts that God has given us, our brothers and sisters don't benefit from it. They're not able to, to, to engage with all that God has called them to do and to be or grow as quickly or as much as they need to. So whatever gifts you have, it is for the common good. It is for your brother, your sister, so that we can use it to build each other up, to build the body of Christ, because we're related to each other. And in case we didn't quite get it, and Paul just gives an example here. These ones are not, he doesn't list them because they are extra special. He just lists them because those were the ones that the Corinthians were particularly focusing on. And he says, these things that you all have is given by the Spirit. And he says elsewhere, in fact, he said earlier in chapter 4, verse 7, what do you have that you have not been given? And if you've been given it, why do you boast? And he goes, oh, right. He says, if you want to boast, boast in Christ, boast in God. Give thanks for the gift, but boast in God. It is not about demonstrating to everybody, yes, I can uh, you know, play this, and yes, I can sing that, and yes, I can draw and paint and so on. It is about using it for the benefit of others, for the building up of the body. He says this elsewhere. He says it in Ephesians. He points it out in Romans, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, where he gives two other lists, if you like, for those who like lists, and you can put them all together and compare them and realize that he doesn't always put them in the same order and he doesn't always repeat all the same things. And what he's doing is he's making a point to them that, look, because we are fellowshipping together, we're united together, growing together as the body of Christ, 
All these gifts are necessary, but they're only as useful as we use them, or they're only useful as we use them. So he says, let me give you an analogy. Think about your body. Yeah, and some of you start thinking about, well, I won't tell you what you're thinking about. You know what you're thinking about. We won't go there. So think about your body. How does it function? What bits do you have? What parts are you most proud of? What things do you see? How do they function? And he's basically saying to them, you should not all strive to be ahead. I don't mean ahead, I mean a head. <laughs> you shouldn't all strive to be the head. Because can you imagine <laughs> what a body would look like if it was just heads? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got the image, don't you? In fact, it wouldn't be a body, would it? We would call it a monstrosity. Can you imagine if your whole body was just covered with eyes? For a start, you wouldn't get very far because you couldn't move. And then when you start rolling to try and move, it would be filled with dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul is using this analogy to say, look, don't all strive to be like so-and-so. Don't strive to have such and such as role or position or job. Do what it is that God has called you to be. In fact, Paul makes the point so strongly that he is saying, he's, he's actually rebuking them for, for, for looking down on those, what, what he calls, less comely parts. He talks about some parts that ought not to be shown out in public, and we won't go there. <laughs> and he says, but we do think well of them, generally speaking. A few years ago, when I, I first started here in 1999, we went uh, as uh, two tutor groups uh, down to uh, a place called Matchams. Uh, Matchams is a dry ski slope. Uh, it does all the things as well, but one of the things that uh, you, you go there to do is ski bobbing. And so we went down there for a, a tutor group activity to do this uh, ski bobbing exercise. And of course, we decided that we would have a competition with my tutor group against John Horder's tutor group, a former uh, colleague of ours. And the first time I went on the ski bob, it's, it's like a little sort of tire thing with bars on it. I, I think it was that you sit on it and they push you down the slope and you slide down. Oh, it's wonderful, great fun, absolutely great, great fun. So of course, students being as they are, couldn't wait to push me off the hill. <laughs> so about 10 of them pushed me off the first time. Now, the problem with that is, if you're being pushed from different directions, you end up not going straight down. <laughs> so, of course, about a quarter of the way down, I did a tumble. Most of them were hiding by the time I walked back up. <laughs> But I was fine, I got up, I was laughing, and it was fantastic, and I thought, right, let's do this again. So when the competition started, I said, one person, please, you know, because this is a serious thing, now this is a race. Yeah, and I remember they pushed me off, and there was a student called Neil Atterwell against whom I was 
uh, uh, racing. And I will never forget Neil Atterwell. Bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> and so we are going down. And I was ahead. I really was. And I, was, and I looked out the corner of my eyes and I saw Neil closing ga the gap on me. So of course, being not so competitive at all or anything like that, as you probably are guessing, I leaned forward to give my ski bob a bit more momentum. You know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> I think I leaned too far forward. <laughs> so I toppled again. I did a, 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 and this time it was a proper tumble. Scraped the side of my face, banged all parts, and I'm lying there on my back going, uh, no, that wasn't such fun that time. So I started as you do, as one does. You lie there, you check your limbs, making sure they're functioning. And I went like that, and it's fine. And I went like that. And then that little finger was at that sort of right angles. And I went, hmm, that shouldn't be like that. <laughs> By which time they were all coming down to see if I was OK. And they went, ugh. And I went, yeah. <laughs> And they took me off to hospital, and they x-rayed it, and um, then they gave me an injection and popped it back into place, and x-rayed it again, and discovered it was broken. Now, the reason I told you that story is because, to be absolutely honest with you, I, before that time, had paid absolutely no attention, no particular attention to my little finger. None. But you know what I discovered when I broke it? I discovered that typing on a typewriter, despite the fact that I don't actually use it, <laughs> like most of us, you know, I only use about three fingers in each hand to type. I did learn to type properly, but I still only use about three fingers on each hand to type. And I realized that typing, even though I don't use it, I was probably resting it and using it, or it was supporting my other fingers much more than I realized. Because as I started and tried to type with the others, there was a pain all the way up my arm after about four minutes. And it was excruciating. I was like, oh, that can't be right. This can't be. And then I realized, of course, I couldn't bend it either. And even after they, it, it started mending, and they don't really do anything for fingers. It was broken just in here. They kind of strapped it together and said, keep it like that for five days, and then take the strapping off and start working it around until you get movement in it. I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> but I discovered that after a while, I actually couldn't bend it any further than that. And I realized as well that when I eat cashew nuts or peanuts, cashew nuts is my, is my preference, that I used to pour it into my hand, and I used to cut my hand like this and then toss it in like that. Now, I hadn't realized that was what I did until I broke my finger. Because when I tried doing it, the, the cashew nuts fell out of the bottom of my hand. <laughs> It really, really became very annoying. I play the bass guitar sometimes. I couldn't play because I couldn't bend the finger. And even if I could use the others, it was just so painful. I couldn't do it. And I suddenly, I suddenly began to think, this is ridiculous. How can this little finger that I pay no attention to be causing me such problems? And I was reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it says, you know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And I thought, 
Okay. What does that mean? What might that mean in the context of the body of Christ? In the context of a congregation, of a church? And you know what I thought about when I thought about the context of Moorlands? Because that's where I was at the time when it happened. I thought about the cleaners. I did. And I su it suddenly started dawning on me how little appreciation sometimes we show for folks who just get on with cleaning up after us. Just get on with making sure everything is in place. Just get on with tidying things away, sorting things out. And I suddenly thought, what if the cleaners didn't show up for a week? You saw on the news the other day the uh, strike by the, the bin collectors in a particular area. Did you see, see it on the news? Did you see the mess? And, well, you couldn't actually smell the stench on the television, but you know. <laughs> you, you can imagine what it was like. And it gave me such a sense of appreciation that Paul was saying, we need to think about every member as important every part of the body as equally important. It's basically what he was saying. Because what he was saying is, is oh, oh, that we shouldn't look down on any particular job or role or position or gifting or part. Because if the cleaner doesn't show up, we notice. We don't actually pay, pay much attention when they've done the job. We walk in and everything looks right and fine and you know, we just get on with it, don't we? But if they miss it, or if they miss something, then everybody is up in arms. I just use the cleaners as an example to say, you know, we need to appreciate one another. We need to appreciate every aspect of the giftings, of the ministries that God has given to us. Whatever we think of it, however we might perceive it. Each for the common good. Now, I don't do much baking. Actually, I don't bake at all. I might be able to do it if I took the time to get some books on baking and read it and follow the instructions carefully. I suspect, because I know myself well enough, that I would not follow the instructions carefully enough. And so that what my, my offering might not uh, be so wonderful. But I know some people who are just so gifted in that area. And every church has them. Isn't that wonderful how God just blesses us with lovely bakers in our churches? Who comes up with cookies and cakes and... Is that her over there, right? Yeah. Oh, lovely to meet you. Hello, my name is Dotha. I like lemon cake. <laughs> Each for the common good. And one of the most important points that Paul was raising here, which he goes on to expand in chapter 13, is that our gifts and the things we do together as the body of Christ should be done from a motivation and a basis of love. Not to show off, but out a demonstration of love for each other and love for God. And so he says, don't try to be like other people. Don't try to imitate so-and-so. Don't try to be a, an eye when you're supposed to be a little finger. Be a good little finger. Because, you know, Jesus also says elsewhere, 
that if we're faithful over a few things, he'll make us ruler over many. So yes, he might increase the gifts that you have, but only if we're faithful with the ones that we already have. You remember that story of the talents? Use it for the glory of God, and God will give you more. Now, I, have to I, well, I don't have to tell you, but I will tell you. I remember some years ago when I was growing up in church, my old pastor used to, he was very annoyingly saying, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. It's a scripture in Matthew. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I do happen to be one of those really annoying people who are very gifted in all sorts of areas. It, it, it really, you know, it's, it's, it's true. But I say really annoying because, you know, you just don't really want those people around, do you? You think, oh, for goodness sake, she can do that and do that. and do. Actually, you do, but you know what I mean. But I remember saying to God, I don't want any more gifts, thank you very much. Do you know why I said that? Because of that verse that kept going over in my head that my pastor kept saying to me, to whom much is given, much is required. And what he's basically saying, what Jesus is basically saying is when God gives you the gifts and the more gifts he gives you, he expects you to use them. And that was the bit I didn't like. Because <laughs> the more you have, the more you're expected to give, to do, to share, to multiply, to give to the others, each for the common good. I remember years ago when I first started preaching, we used to do, you know, the old-fashioned tent crusades. I still do them in some parts of the world now, you know, evangelistic meetings. You go out and you preach the gospel and so on. And being a good Pentecostal girl as I am, <laughs> okay, Baptist-costal, you know, we know how to do church, don't we? I'm surprised I haven't had one amen. Maybe they don't agree with anything I've said anyway. <laughs> anyway, amen. <laughs> And there was, a, there was this, this image of what a preacher should be. And they would be going, and God said, yes, let's go for it. And God said, if you are an eye, then you should be seeing. If you are an ear, then you should be hearing. If you are a nose and your nose is blocked up, then this place would be smelly and stink because you didn't detect the stench. Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay, right. So, of course, I tried this one night in the crusade when they asked me to preach. And I felt that everything I said went up to the sort of the ceiling of the tent and just fell. Boom. I hear when it went, and I, felt, I felt awful, absolutely awful, absolutely terrible. And I walked out of that meeting, God by his grace and in his mercy, you know, somehow managed through, or probably in spite of what was said and how I said it, some people came to faith that night, and I praise God for that. But I remember walking out and saying, that's it, I'll never preach again. Never, ever, ever, ever. God's voice just says to me, because this is how God talks to me, okay? He goes, oh, was that you in there? <laughs> I was trying to figure out who that was. And then it hit me. God doesn't call us to be like other people. If he wanted you to be like Joe, heaven forbid. <laughs> She's lovely, really. <laughs> if he wanted you to be like Joe, he would have made you Joe. 
<laughs> Precisely. The fact that he's made you who you are, the kind of person you are, with your personality, with your combination of experiences and skills and giftings, means he wants you to be you. And that's the key. You to be you with all that God has given you and gifted you with. Now don't mishear me. He will continue to transform our character to make us more godly people. But he still wants you to be you with that personality that he gives you. And that's what I discovered. He didn't want me to be preaching like Paul and Sheila and Catherine and whoever else. You know, we used to sing this old, old hymn, To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I want is to be like him. And we used to sing that, you know, thinking, yeah, we want to emulate him, we want to be like him, we want to walk in the way he did. And you know, one of the things that he said in John 4, after the woman at the Wen story, and again, he said, uh, or he said of him in 1 John, is that he came to accomplish a task, to fulfill a purpose, to do that which God called him to do and to be, as the Son of God, to die that we might live. And he went and fulfilled his purpose. That's why we're here. So my encouragement to us as the body together, let's fulfill our purpose. As each of us, Strive to be all that God calls us to be. Strive to be who we are, completely in God, submitted to God for the purposes of God, using those gifts that God has called us, that God has given to us. Paul says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, which means he doesn't take them back. So you still have them. So for some of you, it might be about stirring the gifts up again. Paul says to Timothy. And let me encourage you. You already know this. This is just an encouragement. Go and do and be all that God has called you to yes, be. Amen. The body needs you. Yes. The church needs you. The world, the world needs yeah, you. Absolutely. It needs us to be all that God has called us to be. So let's go do it. Yes, Amen. 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 Got a Bible somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Amen.